For those who have been around Church Central uh, for the last few months, you'll know that uh, we have been slowly but surely working our way uh, through the book of 1 Peter right at the end of the New Testament. If you are familiar with that letter, you'll know that Peter uh, wrote it really to support and encourage a church that are very much under attack. They're being treated unjustly at work. Uh, they're having family members who are turning against them. Uh, and increasingly, they're finding themselves as a community pushed right to the margins of their society. Uh, it's all pretty relentless. Uh, and if truth be told, they are struggling to keep going. And so through this whole letter, what we've been seeing over the last few months is Peter focusing on how to live in the face of opposition, pressure and suffering Uh, and more importantly even than that how to keep maintaining hope in Christ when everything seems to be going wrong all around you but as Peter comes right to the end of this letter now uh, what we're going to find today is he changes tack and starts focusing on the need for good leadership in the church which as you're reading it might initially strike you as being ever so slightly odd But Peter knows that without leadership to care for the church, then one by one Christians are likely to fall victim to the schemes of the enemy. And so in order to safeguard the church, Peter spells out in some detail, first of all, the role of elders, and then secondly, how the church should respond to their elders, which rather cunningly fits pretty much with what we're doing today as we appoint Ed and Rich and Tim as elders alongside Johnny and myself here at Church Central South. So I thought we'd be missing a trick if we didn't home in on Peter's instructions here uh, and have a listen to what he has to say on this whole subject. Uh, Just to say, as we get into this, uh, it it kind of feels, uh, bear with me on this, it, it feels a bit like a wedding uh, where if, if uh, you're giving a kind of talk at a wedding, uh, you, you want to say something that's appropriate for the couple getting married, but you also want to say something that kind of includes everyone else in the room. Uh, but there's a the danger of getting it wrong on both counts. Uh, and so what I'm going to attempt to do in the next 20 minutes, uh, no one's getting married here, but I, I want to give some specific instructions which are going to be rather niche and probably uh, the rest of you are just kind of twiddling your thumbs as I'm addressing uh, Rich and Tim and Ed. Uh, and it might be interesting to know what they're letting themselves in for. So have a listen anyway. Uh, and then I'm going to switch and give instructions to the rest of us in terms of how we should view them and treat them from this point on. So that's the plan. Okay, let's dive straight in and start off by looking then at Peter's instruction to elders. If you want to follow along, we're going to pick it up in 1 Peter 5 and verse 1. Uh, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Here's the appeal. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 
Let's pause there. Straight away, Peter, you probably noticed it as I read those verses, Peter uses two words to describe the leaders in the church. The first word is this word, we've already referred to the word elders. Uh, This word speaks really of the leaders standing in the community. Uh, I was chatting uh, recently to a leader of a church in the Middle East, and he told me that uh, in their version of the New Testament, the word translated elders is translated as white beard. I love, I, I love that translation. It kind of speaks of elders as these long, white, bearded characters. I think, uh, Johnny, you can do a bit of white in yours. Uh, I think Ed and I, we're, we're, we're could do with a bit more length. Uh, I mean, you, you've got probably a quarter of an hour, uh, Tim and Rich, to, to get a move on here. This is something to aspire to. Uh, but it kind of speaks of these kind of wise, mature father figures in the community. And then there's this second word, shepherds, which doesn't speak so much of their standing, but more the role that the leaders play. They're responsible for giving protection to the sheep. And the rest of us, we are the sheep. If you like, we're, we're the flock being cared for by the shepherds. The, uh, the, the shepherds guard the sheep from predators. They're responsible for feeding the sheep, guiding them constantly to green pastures. They're responsible for watching over the sheep, not just in general, but showing specific care and attention to each individual sheep. So that explains a bit about who elders are, and a little bit about what they do. And then Peter moves on to give, if you like, three couplets that explain how elders should and shouldn't lead in the church community. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, first of all, not because you must, but because you are willing. Now, in appointing Ed, Rich, and Tim as elders, in many respects, what we're doing today is simply affirming what they are already doing. It's not like they're waiting for the title of elder before they start loving and caring for this church. No, they're already pouring themselves out for all of us. No no one asked them to do it. They just willingly do a lot of this stuff already. But let's not take that for granted. I mean, it can be a challenge to keep leading willingly because the reality is, All leadership is hard at times, whether you have some kind of leadership responsibility in your place of work, uh, or in your family, or in a sports team, or wherever, you know that it's pretty challenging being a leader, and that's certainly the case when it comes to leadership in the church. Now, I'm not after the the sympathy vote here, but I want you to imagine the scene. Uh, You've had a tough week. You've put in the effort to to prepare for a meeting. It's pouring with rain. It's bitterly cold. You you feel like you're going down with man flu, but it couldn't be more severe than that. But you battle through courageously. You you get to the meeting early to to open up and put the heating on so no one's cold. And you set out the chairs. You make the coffee. And only two people show up. And then in the following week, 12 people send you emails complaining about what you said in the meeting. In many respects, that is the lot of a leader at times. And so over time, you can end up just kind of leading out of duty or leading out of compulsion. You know you 
ought to, but you're just going through the motions. You're just doing what you know you're supposed to do. There's not a whole lot of joy. There's not a whole lot of faith in it. But here's the thing. I think people can tell. Uh, I think they can tell when you don't really want to be there. I think they can see when your heart isn't really in it. And if they begin to doubt that you want to lead, they're going to find it increasingly hard to follow you. And so Peter's saying, in those moments when you're feeling a little bit demotivated or just plain fed up, Whatever you do, don't just lead out of compulsion or, or, or simply out of a sense of duty. No, keep doing it willingly. And if that's a struggle, come to God and ask him to help you lead with joy. Ask him to help your faith grow for what you're doing. That's the first thing. Secondly, Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. In other words, we're not to lead in an attempt to accumulate more wealth or prestige. Instead, Peter goes on to speak of receiving an eternal crown of glory that will never fade. Now, I might have got this wrong, but I'm pretty confident that neither Ed, Rich, nor Tim are in this for the money. Uh, uh, Am I right? Oh, Tim's not so sure, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I know what he's paid. He's not in it for the money. Now, the temptation can be, the temptation can be to trade eternal honor for just a few crumbs of temporary status. You see, uh, the culture we live in keeps bombarding us with the message to lead out of a desire to grow our power to grow our influence, to grow our reputation, to impress people. But Peter's saying the complete opposite here. Our motivation in leadership has got to be an eagerness to serve other people. That's the second thing. And then the third pitfall that Peter flags up is the desire to lead, not out of a sense of compulsion, because we must, or not for our own personal gain, but out of a desire to control people. Uh, And Zoe says, thirdly, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now that phrase, lording it over, it kind of speaks of exercising power to force people or pressurize people or even manipulate people to follow or obey. But that is certainly not how it's meant to be in the church. Peter says that elders should be an example or a model for people to follow, that people look at the example and find it attractive and want to follow their lead. If you remember, Jesus makes a pretty similar point in Matthew chapter 20. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Same phrase that Peter uses here in this letter. He goes on to say, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, where the world views leadership more as a vehicle for personal glory and a means to control people, Jesus offers a radically different view. He says we are to lay down our lives for others. Now here's the thing. 
It's pretty hard, isn't it? Following people that we don't respect and don't trust. It's even harder following people who abuse their authority or, in all honesty, we view to be impotent leaders, kind of rubbish at their job. It's hard following those kinds of people. By contrast, when you're being led by someone who does it willingly, who is eager to serve, and who wants to constantly set an example of Christ-like living, it's way easier following those kind of people, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't want to follow someone like that? And really what Peter's saying in this passage is that we should actively seek out, look for, and then follow leaders who faithfully model the Christian life for us. And I'd suggest that in Ed, in Rich, and in Tim, we've got three men that we can all learn from and would do well to imitate. If you like, these are father figures. These are white beards in our community who are followable because they lead by example. Their lives are worthy of looking into and following. They don't lead with harshness or with selfishness or with an unhealthy controlling spirit. No, a selfless love, a care, a generosity towards you all. And so all that being said... If Ed and Rich and Tim lead in this way, how should we respond to them? What does it look like in practice for for all of us to follow them? Well, here's what Peter says in verse 5 here. Let's read on in this passage. He says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, All of you clothe yourselves in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, to be honest, it's not completely clear here whether those who are younger is referring to age or simply to spiritual maturity. But seeing as the elders are those who are called to lead the church and set an example, it kind of follows that whoever the younger ones are, those people are to submit to the leaders of the church. In reality, however old you are, or however spiritually mature you are, probably all of us need to hear Peter's command here. I mean, it can be hard at times to follow someone else, especially when we don't agree with the direction they're taking. So all of us need a bit of humility and need to hear what Peter's saying here. And so Peter reminds us that assuming our elders are striving to be the kind of leaders he's just called them to be, all of us have a responsibility to humbly submit to them. A more literal translation would be to arrange yourselves under the leadership of the elders. In other words, submission isn't something you are forced to do, like kind of twisting your arm until you give in and finally submit. No, it's a free choice to follow their guidance. It's it's giving them permission, it's allowing them, it's letting them lead and care for you. And I think a substantial part of letting them lead and care for you is actually taking the initiative in asking for their help. You know, over the years, 
I've heard so many people complain about churches not being caring enough. But when you kind of dig a bit deeper and ask them whether they actually opened up about their struggles and asked for help, very often they say, I mean, no, I mean, why would I want to do that? Like the leaders were just supposed to guess, we're just supposed to know what was going on beneath the surface without ever being given any sign that was any kind of problem. Look, a big part of being led well is allowing, giving permission to the leaders to serve you well, helping them care for you by being open and honest with them. And so Peter stresses the importance of submitting to godly leadership. And he frames this whole instruction with this phrase, I don't know if you noticed it, in the same way. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Which I think begs the question, in the same way as what? Now I've given this uh, a fair bit of thought. uh, And my best guess is that Peter is actually referring back to his instructions to elders in verses 2 and 3. In other words, Peter is saying that we need to learn how to submit in the same way that elders need to learn how to lead. And so willingly, not for gain, and to be an example. Let me try and unpack that for you before I finish. First of all, in the same way, submit to the elders... Not because you must, not because I'm standing at the front telling you to do this, but because you are willing. As we've already seen, there are times, aren't there, where it's actually really hard to follow the leaders of the church. It's just hard when you perhaps prefer things the way they are, and those wretched leaders keep insisting on changing stuff, and you you don't want any more change. It's even harder when you don't understand the decisions they're making, Uh, It's even harder when you're kind of looking at it and you're thinking that you'd probably do a better job than them. Now, what this verse is not encouraging you to do, or underline is not encouraging you to do, is to follow begrudgingly. Like, uh, I'm going to let everyone know that I don't agree with the leaders, but because the Bible says I need to submit to them, I suppose I don't have any option but to go along with this. Uh, that's not what it's saying. And just to say that, that, there's, that there's no joy whatsoever in that as an approach, either for you or those leading you. So it's not saying that. The other thing this verse is not encouraging you to do is to follow blindly. Like, everything the leaders say is right, and I'm just going to follow them, no questions asked. I'll tell you, churches that operate like that are incredibly dangerous and controlling, And this certainly is not what Peter's driving at here. No, it's more like a hard attitude of, okay, Lord, I I think we both know this is going to be a bit of a challenge, but I do want to follow the leaders with a godly attitude. So God, help me to do it joyfully, which certainly does not mean you should do anything against your conscience or that you can't talk to the leaders about any misgivings or concerns you have or ask questions or make your own suggestions Or simply, after all of that, agree to disagree. But as long as it's not a conscience issue, really I think your default position is one of following willingly and not out of a sense of duty or compulsion. That's the first thing. Secondly, in the same way, submit to the elders, not to pursue dishonest gain, 
but out of an eagerness to serve. Now look, this only isn't true across the board, but sometimes people, at least on the surface, give the impression of willingly following. But beneath the surface, if truth be told, they're merely serving themselves. It's like that they, they want influence, they want power, they want prestige, they want to be seen to be part of the inner circle, they want to be in the know regarding what is going on. They think that if they can get friendly with the leaders, then they can slyly manipulate them to get what they want. But Peter says, just as elders shouldn't pursue dishonest gain, but should be eager to serve, in the same way, don't follow for your own dishonest gain, but be eager to serve your leaders. As the writer of the Hebrews puts it in chapter 13, verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. He's saying, look, it can be pretty tough at times being a leader and, and your leaders are actually going to have to give an account before God one day for how they led you. So cut them a bit of slack. I mean, make it as easy for them as you possibly can because at the end of the day, it's going to be easier for you when they actually like doing it. In other words, if you encourage the leaders every now and again, if you're trying to make it a joy to lead you, you are going to benefit as well. So everyone ends up a winner. That's the second thing. And then thirdly, in the same way, submit to the elders, not lording it over them, but being examples to the flock. In other words, we're not to usurp the authority of the elders, but we're to be an example to other people of what godly submission looks like. You see, it's possible to effectively take control of the situation from the back seat by simply withholding submission. We can subtly just draw people to ourselves and away from the leaders by just sowing little seeds of negativity. But that's not what we're meant to do. We're actually meant to lay down our lives and be an example to others of Christ-like submission. Think about it. Jesus walked this earth. He suffered horrific persecution, suffering, opposition. At any moment, he could have clicked his fingers and called down the angels. He could have destroyed his oppressors just like that. But he didn't. He humbly followed his father's plan. And as Paul famously puts it in Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ Jesus. He elaborates, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Listen, when everyone in the room is concerned with serving one another, when the leaders are laying down their lives for the people who are following them, when the people who are following them are trying their hardest to make it as easy as possible, that's when I think the church operates as God intends. But the key in all of this is this word humility. That's what Paul emphasizes about the attitude of Jesus that we're to do our best to imitate. 
And if you remember, that's what Peter goes on to highlight in the second half of verse 5 here. All of you, he says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Really, this instruction is for all of us. To follow Peter's teaching in this passage, I think every single one of us is going to need huge, huge, huge amounts of humility. For starters, the the church absolutely needs strong and courageous elders, father figures, caring for, protecting, looking out for. But they still need to be humble. As Peter points out, the church isn't theirs. Ultimately, it belongs to Jesus, the chief shepherd. But that being said, elders can't lead people who aren't themselves humble. Which is a challenge, isn't it? Because all of us are prone to pride at times. And so Peter reminds us that God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Now, I don't want to introduce a kind of sombre tone into what should be a kind of morning of celebration, but, but there is a warning here. When the end of time comes, God will oppose those who consistently exalt themselves He will oppose those who oppose the leaders he's placed in authority in his flock. But if we heed this warning and apply this teaching with humility, the promise is that God will lift us up and reward us at the end of time. And so to wrap all of this up, in a nutshell, here's what we're all called to do. Bottom line is, all of us are to walk with humility, honouring God, honouring the elders he's placed over us, and honouring one another. We're to pray for our elders, and taking calls as well, and all of that. It's a, it's a busy life, but in the midst of it all, we're to pray for our elders, encouraging them wherever appropriate, however we can, and making it as easy as we can for them to lead us. And those who are elders, we should set an example in humility through our willing leadership and eager serving. And if we lead and follow in this way, Whatever challenges come our way, I think we can be assured that we're walking towards a future where there's eternal honour and reward.